Uh, welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In this episode, uh, Sona and I, hi, <laughs> there's Sona, will be uh, you know following up our Mayor of Easttown recap show. We will be recapping Evil, uh, the series on Paramount Plus. But for this first episode, just to give you some context for what's coming, and also to refresh your memory if you have watched the show, which is by the way still available for streaming on Netflix, the entire first season, we are going to be recapping that entire first season in preparation for next week when we will have the first episode of season two. And we will be going week to week, just like we did with Mayor of Easttown. We will be going week to week and breaking down those episodes and uh, getting into the mythology of the show. And uh, hopefully uh, digging into these bigger thematic topics that the showrunners are trying to bake into these stories as well. So a little uh, background on the show itself. The show uh, is created by Robert King and his wife, Michelle King. These are showrunners and writers who created The Good Wife on CBS, which ran for many years and uh, to great success and acclaim. They followed that up with The Good Fight, which we will probably be dipping into also if we have if there's specific interesting uh, episodes of The Good Fight, which is going to be running in parallel, by the way, in, with Evil uh, about a week behind it and staggered as there are interesting episodes there dealing with some of the topics in the news. It's really one of those like ripped from the headline type shows. I definitely want to uh, discuss that as well. We could bring it into our discussions in this series, but primarily we'll be breaking down and dissecting evil week to week. Robert King actually has been writing for many years. I actually believe that they were lawyers because of their fixation or fa uh, fascination with the, the legal system in all of their series. But actually, they went to school uh, to, I, I think, as film majors, they met in, in school. Um, Michelle King didn't actually write anything for many years. Maybe she was just a housewife while Robert King was getting his career off the ground. He wrote a lot of like really bad horror movies in the 80s and eventually uh, became kind of like a, a writer for like the Twilight Zone and those type of anthology series throughout the 80s and 90s. And eventually in the 2000s, he started to produce shows. And they've all been pretty much legal dramas until very recently. But just to speak to his fascination or the couple's fascination, I guess now as well, uh, with genre in, you know, immediately after wrapping up The Good Wife, they actually had a series called, a miniseries called Braindead, which was the first thing they produced after The Good Wife. And it was a, once again, dealing with politics in the news, it was about like an invasion of the body snatchers type invasion of Washington, D.C. So it was once again, very comic and the horror inflected, like uh, in this show, The Evil, uh, but it was uh, uh, this kind of horror slash comedy slash in alien invasion show, but basically spoke to the fact that this kind of groupthink that was happening in Washington, D.C. So it was as if, you know, kind of the culture wars we're seeing in uh, politics right now were caused by this alien invasion. So that's their kind of critique of the current culture. But uh, just to speak to the fact that they have this interest in uh, genre as well. And as a matter of fact, right now, they have another miniseries that they produced for another network, I think Epics, and it was called The Bite. And in that miniseries, uh, the story is that the coronavirus comes back, a more virulent strain of the coronavirus comes back and it basically knocks the country back on its heels. And they're kind of like doing thought exercises of right now, given what we've learned, would we react better to this pandemic or would it be even worse? And that's kind of the ideas that they're playing with there. So just to speak to the fact that they like these kind of ripped from the headline topics, uh, they like to bake that into their, their shows and they have a real uh, interest in genre. And once again, maybe the biggest thing they've ever produced that is a genre show is this uh, evil show. That's a little bit on them and a little bit on the show itself. So before we get going with kind of breaking down the characters and the scenarios, et cetera, 
at a very, very high level, the show is basically the formula is like the X-Files. It's procedural like the X-Files where, you know, week to week, there's an investigation that's occurring and you have the same or similar uh, cast of characters. You have somebody like Mulder, who's a true believer. You have someone like Scully, who is the, uh, the doubter. Uh, and then rather than having this team of technicians, um, like the, um, uh, they had in the X-Files, you just have uh, Asif Manvi um, uh, playing Ben, who is basically their tech guy who is doing investigations, trying to come up with how technology might be responsible for these kind of supernatural, supposedly supernatural events. So you have a similar, similar structure to the X-Files, although the show in tone is very, very different. So with all that out of the way, Sona, yes. since I've, I introduced you to this show and you were not aware <laughs> you of did. it. You did. <laughs> uh, what did you think of it in general? Okay, so I am, you know, I, I just binge watched the first season over about the last week or so, and I am really enjoying it. As I mentioned to you, I know we try to not talk too much about things ahead of time, but I do feel like I'm a bit handicapped here by not being a Christian because I feel like there are a lot of references that I might be able to get on a deeper level if I had more of a background in basic Christian uh, principles, ideology, the Bible, all of that. Uh, but I do like these characters. I like the storyline. I like the way that often things that seem like they're kind of the case of the week come back a couple of episodes later. They manage right. to keep everything interrelated and characters that you think you've seen the last of or storylines that you think you've heard the last of actually come back and they're connected to a bigger story. So overall, I'm enjoying it. I'm excited to see what season two holds. Yeah, I, I had the same type of experience that you're describing too when I first started listening, first started watching it. And uh, the idea sem seemed uh, interesting, but I'm always one of these people who kind of like, you know, even when the reviews are good early on, and the reviews were very good, by the way, early on for this show, I still have this sense that I'm like, well, I'll wait and see how it is because, you know, oftentimes by the middle of the season, everyone's kind of like, uh, that's not worth watching anymore. Mm -hmm. But this one not only seemed to kind of pick up steam over the course of the season, uh, then it became available on Netflix, of course, which made it very, very easy to consume. Yeah. So I had a similar experience where I kind of was just curious to see how it went. And uh, and by the way, I was used to this kind of what you were describing. Uh, you know, they did that the same, a similar type of thing with The Good Wife, for example, where you would see like just a case of the week type character. As a matter of fact, Mike Coulter, who plays Dave, Dave Acosta, he was like this um, charismatic drug dealer. But he was, like I said, he became a kind of a favorite on that show. Mm -hmm. and they brought him over. They brought him back over and over again. So it's kind of a pattern that they follow. Like once something works, mm -hmm. they, you know, start to integrate it into the show. And uh, I'm sure that will happen even more so in this uh, in this new season. So to get into the breakdown of the show uh, in episode one, and, and by the way, this is going to be very high level. Um, uh, so, you know, obviously we are not going to be able to <laughs> break down every single episode granularly because we'll be here for the rest of the week. But, <laughs> nobody uh, wants that. <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants that. Exactly. No one's going to listen to that. So um, just to uh, uh, take things uh, uh, at a relatively high level. In the very first episode, we are met, uh, we are introduced to Dr. Kristen Bouchard. She's a forensic psychologist. She is, uh, she works for the Manhattan uh, DA's office. I actually think uh, it's Queens County, just to be a little bit nitpicky here. Yeah, I think it's oh, Queens. Oh, <laughs> and by the way, I have not re I've rewatched bits and pieces of the show for this episode, but I have not rewatched the whole entire thing. Obviously, did not mm -hmm. have time to do that. But Sona has just watched it, so please, yes, please keep me honest, Sona. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Queens is way creepier than Manhattan. We all know. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Yeah. And I mean, given it, like uh, the, the probably the money that they're earning, they probably couldn't live in Manhattan for sure. Anyway. 
So we find Katja Herbers. She's, I, I've never seen her before in anything. Uh, she's a <coughs> Swedish or she's a Nordic actress, by the way. Once again, we have to import people from other countries to play <laughs> Americans. It's a theme with Mare of Easttown. But, um, uh, and she's obviously trying to hide her accent. Her, her um, speech is a little distracting to me because I can. I am not perceptive enough to have picked up on that. I do find her bangs distracting as a very anti-bangs person. Um, I think it was not <laughs> the best hairstyle for her personally, but um, I did look her up last night just out of curiosity. And I found she was in one episode of the Americans, which is one of my mm -hmm. all time favorite series. By the way, if you look at pictures of her, <laughs> she does not normally have banks. Like, you know, if you just see like when you happy to hear that, <laughs> <laughs> but she looks so different without the bangs, by the way, I find her much more attractive without the bangs. I think they're trying to make her very mousy here. I feel yes. Absolutely. Like she's really like are. the the personification of Mousy, I feel. <laughs> yeah, she, if you see if you just look up pictures of her, she can look she looks very glamorous and once mm -hmm. again these are pictures that are cherry picked for her profiles and things. No, but, but she's still, very glamorous. Yeah. And she looks very glamorous and I totally believe that like you said they're cutting her hair and they're even like maybe even the way she her posture and things she's mm -hmm. definitely hunched over in a way to kind of pinch yeah. herself almost. Right? So I totally agree. It's part of the performance. We're introduced to her uh, almost immediately. She's interviewing a serial killer who claims to you know, be uh, possessed by a demon. Um, she doesn't believe this, of course. Uh, and that's basically her role in the show is to be the skeptic. And just like uh, Scully, by the way, sometimes she's presented with things that are <laughs> kind of undeniable and still plays the skeptic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Although maybe that changes by the end of the, the season, but we'll, we'll get around to that. Uh, so yeah, so she's there to basically uh, evaluate this serial killer. And uh, turns and she finds that he, you know, obviously is faking his his um, his uh, possession. Uh, but things start to happen. He starts to know things that he should know. For example, a little bit about her. Let me just get her biography out of the way. Her husband's missing in action, and that's something I'm going to talk to you about later on. Is like uh, for a long time, honestly, I thought he had to be dead, and he, he, she just wasn't telling the girls. But I'll, I'll leave that conversation for later because he's he, the husband is missing in action for a very long time. They apparently were both rock climbers uh, she, uh, and she gave up rock climbing to raise her family. I mean, to be fair, the husband is not officially missing in action. She acts as if she knows exactly where he is, which is leading, uh, leading a group up Mount Everest, right? So, but yes, I normally yes. don't really um, read message boards or whatever before we tape, tape, is that the right word? Record, uh, <laughs> because, you know, I want my thoughts to be my own, but here, because I had to get up to speed so quickly, I did do some of that. And there was a lot of speculation that the husband was dead. So. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. I read like there was just something and I can't, I didn't rewatch the whole thing, but I remember even when I watched the first time, there was something about the girls questioning her and the way that she was talking about the, the dad that I felt like, oh, I don't think he's in the picture anymore mm -hmm. or you know, like, and I'm like, is he, are they like going through a rough patch, which they may be actually, yeah. are they going through a rough patch? And uh, he's like out of the picture in that, you know, like there, it's like a trial separation right. of some kind. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, wait a second, is he dead? Right. Yeah. Because, um, and uh, by the way, the show, I think makes that a an open question <laughs> pretty soon after this, uh, I think by episode three, right. When, when they confront that virtual uh, character. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so then I'm like, you know, so he, when I, and, and you're absolutely correct. When I said out of the picture, I meant that he's not involved in the show. Definitely not like, you know, he's divorced. Yeah, no, I just wanted not, to be clear yeah. that it's not like yes. 
they truly don't know where he is. They believe they know where he is. But I mean, I guess you're not that reachable when you're trekking up Everest, though. But, exactly, yeah. which makes perfect sense, yeah. right? And uh, and then even that we don't even see her like on, you know, a phone. Right. I mean, we do eventually, we do eventually see her on the phone and like trying to talk to the girls and everything. And he's talking to them also, even though this, you know, signal's bad. Which still made me think there's something supernatural might be going on, but regardless, yeah, but that and it still can happens be very later dangerous on. to hike Mount Everest. I mean, total tangent, but if you've ever read sure. Into Thin Air, it's a very stressful yep. read. <laughs> oh yeah, people yeah. die every year, right? All the so time. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so all of that is is scary. But she used to be a climber, uh, mm -hmm. so someone who was much more adventurous. Even though, like you said, she's projected as this very mousy person, mm -hmm. she uh, obviously was someone who was much bolder. And someone even calls that out that she doesn't seem to be the type, right? And, uh, but her husband still is, and he goes on these trips that he's like, you know, I guess he's paid to be like a Sherpa or whatever. And that is how he uh, makes and or guide, I guess you would say. Yeah. I mean, I makes... think there is like, a. <laughs> I know this so many tangents when you have a conversation <laughs> with me, but I think there is like a group of Nepalese people that are like official Sherpas. So I don't Correct. think you can come from the West and be a Sherpa. I don't think, but yeah, certainly a guide up Mount Everest. Yes, yes, yeah. I think that'd be the proper terminology. Absolutely. So yeah, so that, so that's uh, some of her bio. I'm sure we'll get into it in more detail. Um, she she's like a lapsed Catholic. That's which is important, by the way, very important. Um, might also explain why she has so many kids. I was but, about um... to add, and also she <laughs> has too many children, as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Exactly. I mean, listen, I'm not a big lover of kids, despite the fact I have one. <laughs> but, but this is too many children, especially. Um, I'm wondering if the Catholicism does explain it because. A, Especially in the city, it is very unusual to have that many children, I will say. Statistically, very okay. unlikely for a family to have that many kids. And I actually think they do a pretty good job of this. I think in the third episode where she has a conversation about her lapsed faith mm -hmm. and she says, and she's talking to Dave Acosta about it, and she's basically saying like, how do you have faith in this world? So it's she's someone who seems to be a seeker. She wants to believe, but then she's like, how can you believe? And I think that is, you know, you know, it, the show's not always serious, to be honest with you. But that I think is something that it's seriously trying to grapple with is how do you have faith in a world now where you see such bad things? And you're like, if someone's out there making decisions about um, these outcomes, how could that be considering how, you know, there, arbitrary some of these things are, right? Yeah, I think there are a lot of really meaningful conversations between her and Dave, David, Dave, where David, yeah. she asks questions that we all have about like the power of prayer and why would one person's prayers be answered and another's not? And, you know, right. can you really, you know, what's the point of it all? Because if it does make a difference, of course you would do it, but what's the proof that it makes a difference? I mean, a really good conversation, usually in just like little one minute segments, um, yes. you know, yep. that are but really meaningful. And I think speak to questions that all of us have when we examine our lives and our faith. Yeah. And if I can have a critique of the Kings in general, I feel that um, they did a better job of this on the good wife, by the way, then the good wife, which I mean, the good fight, which I just caught up with, by the way, which I think was very, very interesting to watch uh, in retrospect, since it was dealing almost entirely with like what they thought the Trump administration was going to be like, because they obviously started producing this at the beginning of the Trump administration and how they almost like predicted things that happened later on, which was kind mm -hmm. of amazing to, to watch in retrospect. But um, they were dealing with some of these very big uh, questions, right? And um, uh, not, and, and by the way, although they, I, you know, seem to be, uh, very lefty um, in their own personal politics. I think they challenge themselves all the time in their shows by having someone have like the other mm -hmm, perspective mm -hmm. and kind of see these. There's a, an excellent episode of The Good Fight, by the way, where the protagonist wakes up in a world where Hillary won the election. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. And they end up and they end up having to uh, she one of their clients ends up being Harvey Weinstein. And uh, they're like uh, and she's like saying, like, what do you mean? We can't uh, have Harvey Weinstein as a client. And uh, they go and, and they're like, what do you mean? He's like this big donor. He like gave all this money to Hillary. He's like one of our biggest mm-hmm. clients. And then she starts talking about the whole Me Too movement. And they're like, what, what are you what talking, are you talking about? about? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> so it's like almost, it's a kind of a fascinating experiment mm-hmm. to kind of say like, it's very easy to say, well, everything would be different if this happened. But it's like, no, there's many consequences to some to a particular action, right? Not just one. Um, you know, it's like just kind of just like pluck one person out of history and all of history is fixed now. That's it never is that. Yeah, way, right? butterfly effect yeah. type of thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's very, very interesting that they kind of think about these things. And like you said, they are they they believe in complexity here. And maybe one of my favorite conversations they had, like you said, and they throw these things in these very uh, potent moments and they just sprinkle them in throughout yes. the show. Mm-hmm. And I think they do a really good job of that. They're very good writers at, at kind of, and, and those inter, and for me, like I said, as a critique, those interpersonal conversations are very, very strong. And sometimes they are like a little too goofy with the way they plot their shows. But, um, uh, you know, and it's maybe a little thing that I don't, I mean, I think they are intentionally trying to be funny, but I'm like, kind of like, all right, it's a little, a little too much. Right. But I do like the interpersonal yeah. stuff. I think it's very well done. I agree. And uh, that was an excellent conversation, like you said, where, uh, I, I think it was kind of touching, by the way, where she's saying, like, I would love, she goes, like, basically said, like, I would pray, you know, she said, I would Non-stop. put the saints to shame. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's what she says, that she, she would put the saints to shame if she believed that praying is going to save my daughter's yeah. life. But mm-hmm. by the way, just as context, her, her daughter has like a heart defect. And uh, and she goes, um, uh, but, you know, I know there's people out there who are praying right now and terrible things happen to them mm-hmm. all the time. And then he just says to her, he goes, well, I'll pray for your daughter. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. just very, it's very touching actually that he's basically saying that he can't explain it, but he will still, he still has faith. And I think that's very, really nice. And that's what the show kind of um, explores uh, at its best moments. Um, So uh, we're kind of jumping, you know, deeply right away. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, uh, but hopefully that does encourage people to watch it because there's a lot here to digest. There's a lot of plot. There's a lot of, there's a giant conspiracy, which we're going to start exploring as we go through these. But I personally like this stuff the best when they're talking about how does technology impact, and there's going to be a lot of talk of technology, by the way, in this show, how does technology change the way we live our lives, but also these types of things, like how do you have faith in the modern world, right? And things like that. So I think it's very, um, very interesting. And we also, by the way, so now we can <laughs> rewind all the way to the beginning again. We also meet, as we meet uh, Mike Coulter's character, David Acosta, uh, we also meet Ben Shakir, who's played by Asif Manvi. So he is there as their tech specialist and he does his technical debunking he is more of a secondary character they flesh him out though and uh, we'll get into some some of the changes he goes through over the course of the show so those are the kind of the, the key players there we meet her we meet uh, david we meet we, we also meet i guess the da who is going to come back in uh, other episodes who else do we meet oh we meet uh her psychiatrist her psychiatrist right, her psychologist yep mm-hmm. yeah her therapist and leland but Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I was going to leave him for last, oh, but sorry. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> and then, um, yes. And then, so, so she goes to see her therapist. She, she basically confesses that she has a sexual attraction. She's also talks about how, you know, there, she's being offered a job, by the way, I kind of skipped that part. She has some friction with the DA. The DA is basically saying like, I want you to say what I want you to say. And I guess that is maybe a little bit of a, maybe the bigger cultural theme of the show is that idea. And maybe you have some insight into this at all because I know this has happened for other types of people who provide evidence that they're basically saying like, Hey, we're paying you to say what we want. And she's like, wait a second. No, I'm supposed to be here to give you an accurate assessment. And they're like, no, no, you're not. And I don't know if you have any kind of insight into that at all and how 
that I mean, works out in the legal system. Again, my disclaimer, I'm not a criminal lawyer, but <laughs> right. um, I mean, I think there is always a, a dance that you do with your expert where, you know, you try to identify an expert that's going to be favorable to you. You talk about what the case is and kind of make sure they see your side of it. You, um, we deal in, in my practice, there's always an ex, a written expert report before any kind of examination, either a deposition or at a hearing. So in the written report, you know, you get a draft and you think like, okay, well, how wedded is he to saying this? Because it's not great for us. Um, you know, can he be talked into making this point a little less important, this point a little bit more important? So you kind of are always doing that push pull of trying to make sure it's the expert's voice and the expert expert's opinion, but make sure it is also staying on message with your case and the points that you're trying to make. So that's always something you're trying to consider without crossing, of course, any ethical boundaries of putting words in somebody's mouth or having them say something they don't really believe. And yeah, it is always going to be at deposition. The first question is always going to be, what's your hourly rate? You know, how much have you built so far in this case? Are you getting paid whether you win or lose? Um, so yeah, that's always, those types of issues are always there when you use an expert. And I think also I will say like some experts are known as mouthpieces for certain yes. industries. And I definitely have had opposing experts where you'll hear like, well, you know, I talked to this other attorney and they said that she can be paid to say whatever you want her to say. So of course our experts are much more ethical, but I have heard that about the other side's experts. <laughs> That's always the case, right? Our side is, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is totally transparent. And uh, and like, obviously, like, you know, and we see some of that here, right? Where, um, you know, the villain that's inter introduced later um, is literally, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, even after his kind of, he's implicated in a crime, basically, he's still used as a, as a uh, uh, witness at one point. Okay, so we get through uh, most of the... Um, the, the main players there. Who else do we want to introduce here? Oh, I guess uh, I guess we could just jump straight. Oh, well, oh, actually, her mom. before we get there, how about her mom? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, and I actually was going to jump to, but but let me, but so just to get into the plot a little bit because it's going to play out later too. Uh, so, what starts happening is you know after she has this experience where she's attacked by this serial killer, who also, by the way, is going to be recurring in the show, um, very important to the finale, uh, and then. Uh, all, all these things happen. And um, on top of that, we have, uh, oh, so then, you know, she has a strange experience. They're talking about potential supernatural forces. She's being a skeptic and she has a strange visitor in her dream. She has a, a night terror basically where she is paralyzed. And by the way, if you've never seen this documentary about night terrors on Netflix, uh, which I can't remember the name of it, but I'll, I'll put it in recommendations at the end, but it is terrifying because I've had I, only one time I didn't have a night terror, but I've, I had sleep paralysis just once in my life. And when you watch that documentary and people basically say that even being suggested the idea of night terrors or sleep paralysis makes, it's like an, it, like a mental infection. Other mm -hmm. people start having it too. And when I watch that documentary, I'm like, oh my God, am I going to start having this experience now? Because this is terrifying, right? I've never and, had either of those experiences, but I've yeah. talked to people who have, and it does sound terrifying. Yeah. So I, my experience of it, by the way, not a night terror, no night terrors, because people say that, you know, they have the paralysis and then during right. the paralysis, they mm -hmm. feel like there's somebody in the room. Sometimes they actually visualize somebody in the room, 
but I had only the night the sleep paralysis and it was terrifying. Yeah. I literally woke up like my regular time around six o'clock in the morning or seven. I was much younger at the time. I was like in my twenties, I think. And I could not move my body. I could only move my eyes. Like wow. I was completely paralyzed. I couldn't call out. I couldn't do anything. And it was very, very disturbing. And I'm like, <laughs> and I had heard of night uh, uh, sleep paralysis, you know, just in passing, I'd heard, you know, uh, someone mentioned it uh, years ago, like just out of a, like trivia or something. And, I, but I'd never experienced it. And then I researched it after the fact. And I was like, wow, I hope that never happens again. <laughs> it is truly, truly terrifying. And then I can only imagine when you watch this documentary where people have that experience of being immobilized, unable to talk, whatever. And then at the same time, have this sense that there's someone basically looming over them. Mm -hmm. like, wow, like who? <laughs> that is like the worst kind of nightmare. And that's the nightmare she has, right? So mm -hmm. she has exactly that type of experience. So she starts thinking, is there something supernatural to this? And as a matter of fact, she talks to her psychiatrist about it. And then the serial killer, the suspected serial killer, actually calls out her dream and the demon by name. By the mm -hmm. way. And then she starts thinking like, well, how is this possible? And what turns out happening is that we meet Michael Emerson playing Leland Townsend, who is now replacing her as the forensic psychologist for the DA. And it uh, turns out that he is, uh, we find out a whole bunch of things by the end of the episode. Not only has he gone to her psychiatrist's office, stolen her file, and then fed it to the serial killer, right? Which, Which is, is crazy. Very, very, it's nuts, right? But of course, he turns out to be even worse than that. It turns out that he was the one who was manipulating the serial killer into like kind of goading him into, you know, committing these uh, really grisly uh, murders and rapes, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so this guy's truly, truly an evil person. And, uh, you know, and even that's what's something that uh, Mike, uh, that Dave Acosta even says to her, which is like, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Some people are just like pushers, right? They're just people who get their thrills by manipulating people. Like, you know, he's saying, I think he's a demon. I think I've seen him in other forms. Like he literally thinks he's seen this, um, that, uh, you know, almost like as a shapeshifter or something. Uh, and he goes, it doesn't mean if it doesn't matter if you believe me or not, but whether you just want to call him a, a psychopath, then, you know, these people still exist. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we get into that a little bit, not necessarily that I believe that there's anybody like there's this actual network of people on the internet who are, uh, you know, demons or something, but I do think that they're making a, um, they're very like, even in all their other shows, the Kings, the, the, the creators of the, this show, they've been very anti-trolling basically. Mm -hmm. And it's a big theme of the good fight and even the good wife, which is many years ago before trolling became, you know, um, so mainstream, but they've been very anti the way the internet basically encourages kind of like negative uh, social interactions as a, the primary social interaction because it gets clicks or response. Mm -hmm. So they've been very uh, against this. And I think this is kind of like a theme of the show in a way, right? Is that you can say these are, um, demons, you know, from another, you know, dimension or something. But primarily what they're saying is that, you know, this is like kind of a toxic culture that mm -hmm. is spreading via the internet. Mm -hmm. right? And that kind of becomes a theme uh, in the show. But long story short is that he turns out to be suspected as an actual demon in by um, Dave Acosta. Uh, and that he was the one who basically leaked her medical files. Very, very, very unethical. I don't know how he, he still is a practicing really? psychiatrist at that, at that point. Uh, but also um, if they could prove it, of course, which they can't, but if they could. And uh, also, um, you know, potentially was the one who wrote those emails, which of course they can, well, it, it's via Reddit, so it's probably anonymous, but they probably could like track down those IP addresses and things and uh, probably uh, correlate it back to him. So by the way, I don't think there's enough <laughs> enough of an investigation there because they should try to tie him to, the, to that serial killer for sure. Yeah, and honestly, I was happy to hear you say that the showrunners, I guess that's the term for them, uh, yeah. are not lawyers because this yeah. whole hearing where he, they're using the notes that he stole from the psychiatrist or psychologist or like, 
I mean, there's a thousand questions that should have come up there and they were just brushed off with like, oh, well, this is a preliminary hearing, so it doesn't matter. I mean, the rules of evidence always matter. So um, that was a little bit disturbing to me. I think they should maybe um, lock down their legal consultant a little bit better. But uh, well, they have fight. so many legal consultants uh, when they did uh, the good wife and I assume the good fight as well. They have so many legal consultants. And also like when they did their Washington DC shows, they do all these like, uh, uh, you know, so they have many, many experts working on the show. And that's honestly why I uh, want to uh, discuss this show with you when once we go, you know, we, we can dig into all these individual caveats in, in more detail because I have a lot of open questions. Oftentimes what they'll be is it almost feels like there's always a grain of truth, like in the good uh, fight. There was an episode where they're talking about how like the government could like almost like write a law that has like no body. And then they can basically throw anything they wanted to it retroactively. So they could just like come up with a law later. And I'm like, that's ridiculous, you know, because so much bad stuff happens in that show because of this, um, this, and then I, I, I tracked it down. I like Google searched it and, and like, basically I don't think anything as conspiratorial happened in real life versus what happens in that show. And mm -hmm. I won't spoil it if you, when you get around to it, but it does exist, right? That, that you know, it's kind of how they, they wrote these laws back during the, the war on uh, terrorism, right? Where they kind of like have these things where it's like, we'll write the law later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're like, what? You could do that? <laughs> then, like then you can do whatever you want, there. right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's pretty crazy. But anyway, I definitely want to delve, delve into that. Cause like I said, for me, when I'm watching this, I'm like, well, how is he not in jail? <laughs> like, yeah, there's so I many mean, questions, right? Listen, there's that idea of like, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story or whatever right. it is. Um, right. And I think it's fine to play fast and loose with a lot of legal things because a lot of it is... Um, um, boring procedural technicalities. So, but this one just seemed like so hugely inaccurate to me. So we spent a whole bunch of time covering that first episode, but that is really the episode where we kind of set up the structure of the show. And these next episodes, until we get closer to the finale, are going to be pretty high level. Um, and like, the, please, you know, add any kind of uh, what you thought was sure. most interesting there. Uh, in, the, in the next episode, the, the kind of the case of the week was a girl who apparently supposedly was um, dead and came you know, right. was a soccer player mm -hmm. right, who collapsed on the field, supposedly dead. And then she is um, basically uh, comes back from the dead after three hours. And they say it was like, uh, it could be COPD, which my wife is in medicine. And she says, well, that seems unlikely for that amount of time. And I mean, they call that out in the episode too, right? Mm -hmm. She says, well, yeah, it's possible, but for three hours, really? Mm -hmm. And my wife said the same thing. It's like, well, you know, she probably had like brain death at that point. Like how much oxygen right. could they have mm -hmm. actually pumped into her that would sustain her for yes. that amount of time. And there's a, another thing here too, right? Where they actually see another girl's body, like maybe like a spirit of somebody, uh, you know, exiting their body. Right. And I think that's the first, uh, to my recollection, that's the first like unexplained phenomena that we see, right. right? Everything else so far has had a logical explanation, whether it's sound or not is a different issue, but um, they at least are trying to find a logical explanation, but nobody can find an explanation for that angel image that they see. But the bigger thing they're dealing with here, and it's kind of interesting that they just had this really fascinating article I read uh, this week. Uh, they're really talking about how these kind of racial racialized uh, medical procedures, like basically like the, um, uh, that there are um, standard practices. And I talked to Kim about this because I found it so interesting and, and so troubling, by the way, that there are like racialized uh, um, uh, medical practices that may, for example, have even accelerated the number of deaths among minorities because sure. they kind of like, they use this kind of like weighing process to be like, is this person worth a ventilator or not? And they're like, well, this person has worse outcomes and they use race as their main weight. 
And then, uh, so therefore that person doesn't get a ventilator, that person dies. And then of course, then the numbers show a higher death rate among minorities. So therefore now the system starts feeding back on itself and it goes, well, well then we make the same decision next time, which exacerbates the numbers even more. And then you use that as an input into your decisions, right? I will include some articles here in the, the to kind of talk about this kind of shocking uh, fact that there's kind of this racialized uh, medical procedures in this country. And I am glad that they are trying to, in their own little way, bring some attention to it. Although, by the way, this is probably not one of the best episodes in the season, but uh, at least they are t- dealing with, I think, a very important topic. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's interesting in the next episode, I think, is um, once again, not a great episode. The next one is about a Broadway producer who believes mm. that he has sold his soul to the devil or whatever for his success. He has become very successful. And now he thinks that, you know, the devil is basically coming back for his soul. And uh, it turns out, long story short, there's a lot of investigation in this episode, but it turns out that it is actually a hacker who, um, uh, you know, basically was screwed over by this guy and has like hacked his, his, uh, you know, his Alexa-like device and that it is, uh, you know, and that's what has happened. So he's basically put this, this virus onto the device, which has been, you know, telling him terrible things and, uh, and drives this guy to suicide eventually, right? Mm-hmm. We also see that David takes some hallucinogens, right? And I guess this is when he uh, he's talked about multiple times how he has like basically heard the voice of God and had um, visions of things that come true. Uh, and now we find out that it's actually he uses drugs to um, to achieve that, right? So yes. we see him take um, um, Which hallucinogens. Seems like cheating. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it probably works, right? <laughs> well, I think there are probably a lot of people who have seen God under those circumstances. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and there's a puzzle that gets introduced here, which is the Salvador Mundi, the Da Vinci painting, that there is some kind of, you know, I don't even remember the details of it, but there's some puzzle they solve by putting the star um, uh, um, constellation over New York and then connecting the dots and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, it's introduced here, right? This artwork that somehow pertains to um, some kind of map that they're going to explore later on. And that's kind of the, you know, a big a clue within uh, this broader mystery. But thematically in this episode, I think a couple of interesting things they bring up is the fact that, for example, um, you know, there was that case where they collected, and many, many cases, right, where they collect the uh, um, audio uh, from the Alexa devices, because oftentimes there's audio that's been recorded that they can use to verify someone's alibi or to mm-hmm. prove somebody, you know, like there was that case, I think it was in Tennessee, where uh, a man died in another man's house and then he said, oh, he drowned in the hot tub. And then they um, they used the Alexa device to basically listen to what was happening at that time to see if, um, you know, if, and, and I don't know how, if the Alexa um, audio was actually useful or not for that case, but just to speak to the fact that once again, people are probably not aware that those devices are probably listening to you um, and recording that stuff somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing they introduce here is that, so uh, the the idea of a deep fake, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where, um, you know, she basically, Kristen records a threat by um, Leland. And, uh, but somehow, probably because of his demonic forces, which we find out are legitimate at some point, that uh, his voice is not being recorded. But then she tries to use a deep fake to create, basically, so once again, it talks about, you know, the uh, ethics of this. She is creating an audio file, which is the actual threat he made. However, it's not the actual audio file, right? Right. So it's not what are the ethics? Right. So, what are the ethics of something like that, right? So, I think those are the kind of the ideas they're playing with. Yeah, I think this is the episode where, and this is just like a tiny grain that was dropped that was never revisited throughout uh, the rest of the season that I can recall about Ben's sister. 
um, yes. who is a very likable character. I really yeah. want to know more about I her. I thought she was going to come back again. I agree. Yep. Um, and there's a really creepy moment, right, where the assistant is talking to them and says something about her baby being right. dead, being in hell. I can't quite remember. Right. It was a very creepy moment, I found. Yes. Uh, yep. And I was hoping more would be explained about that somehow, but I don't think it was ever revisited. Because, yeah, I agree. I liked her a lot. And uh, in a way, I liked their uh, interaction so mm -hmm. much. I almost assumed that we would be seeing a lot more. Right. And I assumed that would be the case. And we'll find out more about whatever her history was an abortion or something that she may have had is my guess. Yeah, maybe. Oh, but how did you feel about the whole question of like, you know, faking evidence for like, what, what's the morality of that? What do you feel? Oh, I don't care that? for it. Um, <laughs> I understand why she felt that it was important to do that. And I appreciate that it was an accurate recreation, but nonetheless, it was not authentic. It was a recreation. Uh, using that as evidence in an official court proceeding, absolutely not. <laughs> so now we have a, a very interesting episode, by the way, one that kind of always, uh, I always remembered because two big things happen in it. One is that there's a family who believes that their son might be possessed. And he, oh, you know, this was so good. Is, Yes. He's like, you know, he, he's affectless to some extent, but there's more to that, right? There's something uh, intimidating so about him. Like, yeah. Is he a sociopath? Is he a psychopath? Um, and uh, they come in there to investigate. And um, and uh, uh, the other big thing that happens here is we uh, get introduced that the, the 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 mom, who we haven't talked about, by the way, Christine Lottie, um, uh, is plays uh, her mom. She gives a great performance, although I hate her. <laughs> I hate this mother with so much passion, just as a character. Yeah, but, uh, you know, you know she I don't hate her as much as most people do. I certainly don't like her, but I don't think she's getting under my skin the way many people seem to find she is getting under oh, their skin. I, I, I can't stand her because especially, and it, she, she just gets, she's one of these people who just rubs me the wrong way right away, intentionally, right? Like, I mean, in yeah, I think a lot of saying, people feel that way about her, yeah. And then, of course, it just gets worse, and we'll get into how yeah. much worse it gets. But she buys them, the kids, this, uh, you know, AR headset. Yeah. And they uh, basically interact with a uh, Rose 390, which is the name of the episode. Uh, they interact with this profile, uh, which appears to have, you know, infiltrated their 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 network, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's what happening in parallel with this investigation of this this boy who could be a psychopath. And we see him bonding with Dave, which they have some very good scenes together. Uh, um, once again, the um, mm -hmm. uh, actor who plays Dave Acosta does a really good job in these scenes. And he's like, they, they, they both like comic books. So he draws for him. He's an artist. So they kind of bond over this. And in the end, he ends up trying to drown his baby sister. Oh right? my and, uh, God, David, the horror of it. Yeah, ex exactly. And then David shows up just in time to rescue mm -hmm. the little girl. And then they get an emergency um, request to actually do a, a exorcism of the boy. And by the time they come back, it turns out that uh, as a family saying, the kid disappeared, but ran, they away. Know that they ran away. Right. Mm -hmm. But they know that, um, you know, they could just tell that the, you know, the, you know, the mother even apologizes right to, to them. So they know like, Oh my God, they killed that, that boy. Right. Yeah. And uh, so obviously this is like a catch 22 situation for the family, but what did you, what, yeah. What do you think about all this? Uh, I mean, first of all, what a horrifying situation, right? This family is literally living in fear that this kid is yeah. going to kill them. Yeah. You know, as a parent, you kind of put yourself in those shoes and you're just like, oh my God, what do you do? And, right. you know, they make a, they make a good point of like, there was no place that they could send him at the one place they tried sent him back. So what do you do in that situation? Uh, not condoning murdering your own child, obviously, but I'm just saying it, it's, <laughs> it's a challenging one. Um, 
And I think what was interesting here, and I'm not sure I quite grasped Kristen's advice um, that she conveyed to David of like why he should fake it till he makes it kind of, that this kid is such a psychopath or sociopath that he shows no emotion. He doesn't understand social cues. He doesn't understand how to get along with people. I, I'm not sure I ever understood the advice of like just smiling when you're supposed to smile, laughing when you're supposed to laugh, right. acting in the way that you're expected to, but certainly the way that David conveyed it to the kid actually enabled him, right, to right. lull his family into a false sense of security where he did have access to the baby in order to throw her in the pool. Um, right. So that was also terrifying and horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And uh, and like you said, I think that's the catch-22 that they put them in, in the situation that, like, I think what David is saying is that David, you know, because they're they're doing that artwork together and everything else, maybe he's just saying he's just an awkward kid. He's just struggling to figure himself out. And maybe he's just an David's awkward projecting. kid who makes bleach into his family's food. It happens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good point. That's actually a very good point. I'm reading it purely like on a more uh, general uh, um, way, like you, like you know, like, like you were saying that of just kind of. But yeah, like not taking away these kind of, like you said, they're putting bleach into the food and stuff. There's some kind of extreme behaviors that he's uh, kind of uh, skirting around, right, by saying like. You know, sometimes you just like fake it until uh, it feels more natural. Yeah, because, I mean, like that's I said, good I think, for someone who just can't read social cues. But when you're right. putting bleach in the milk, I mean, come on. <laughs> right, exactly. Because I, it almost feels like what he's saying is like, you know, you're talking to someone who might have Asperger's or something. Right, saying like, exactly. Oh, you know what? It's it's easier to socialize if you just mirror yes, just what the people are doing back at you. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But this kid, like you said, you know, someone who has uh, uh, Asperger's has, uh, you know, is affectless. They're not somebody who is trying to murder. Them. Exactly. They're not, you know, they're not poisoning their family members. Yeah, very, yeah. Big distance between those two things. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I do think it's very hard because it's one of those things that it puts you in a really awkward situation watching the episode, by the way, because as I'm watching it, I'm like, I don't want something bad to happen to this kid. But like you were saying, it's such a, a, a no-win situation. It's like, how... Like, what do you do? Like, you know, your, your baby's life is at risk, right? Like everybody's life And there's is at another risk. girl as well, right? There are three kids all together in the family. Yep. Then plus yeah, the two exactly. parents. I mean, yep. it was a rough one to watch. Um, and then yep. on the other side, I thought the uh, augmented reality stuff was done well. It was pretty creepy, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought they, I was surprised at like just the special effects and things. I'm like, well, they did a pretty, uh, they probably went all out for this. I'm pretty surprised that they did a pretty good job with that. And the character's very creepy, right? And, uh, and also the idea, once again, that, uh, and I think this is a theme that they're playing with with the show, is this idea that technology is almost like a supernatural force, right? That what you're seeing is that, you know, when they're like opening this gateway and they're allowing this demon into the house is very creepy, the way it's represented in that virtual world. But at the same time, it's just the idea that like, yeah, you, your kids are on these devices, they're on their um, social media, et cetera. And what are you letting in? What influences you no are you letting idea. into your home? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's all happening. Like you said, you know, they put on this headset or whatever, they're in the same room with you and you have no idea what's yeah. happening. Right. And it's very, uh, that's very troubling also. Right. It's kind of this and thematically, I think they're tying these two things together about like how, how much do you allow them to be themselves and how much do you have to basically say, no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, and now once again, I think this is kind of the way they write their episodes. They don't give any easy answers. They don't have an easy answer for any of this, which is, uh, oh, makes it more troubling. Unclear how connected this is, but in the first scene of this episode, we see the, um, the evil kid using that same augmented reality, right. In that opening oh, interesting. scene. Yes. And right, right. Uh, but it's not yes. really clear how those two things connect, but I guess, you know, 
there's some idea that there's something evil about it that could have affected him. Although given what happens right. later in the season, it seems like he was evil from the start perhaps, but anyway, right. that's yeah. what I was going to say is that that's where it's kind of Pat in a way yeah. it's very hard. Like if they had in, in a way, I think that kind of undercuts their own, what I just said about the, what's it, potent about this episode they kind of undercut it by at the end being like oh he's part of the same fertility clinic so right. he's one of the evil babies right okay so the next episode another one that i really remembered very um uh, um uh, intensely it's almost like a bottle episode it doesn't really tie into the mythology that much but it's the halloween episode mm-hmm. right and uh, i just remembered it because i thought the whole sequence with this girl oh my god is she with so the mask creepy. And then walking out the house with the kids. And once again, it's just like, I never want my kids to go trick or treating. So <laughs> Maybe very, you don't live in walking scary. distance of a cemetery, at least. But Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I grew up in Newark, by the way, and we went trick or treating by ourselves. Like, I can't imagine that. Like now we don't even let the kids go trick or treating. And I remember trick or treating in the dark in Newark in the seventies. Like it's, it's crazy, <laughs> right? Like you, I would, I cannot imagine that today. You lived but to back tell the tale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like crazy that we survived our childhood. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this episode's very creepy. And I guess the other big thing that happens is, Oh, actually I forgot this whole, I'm just eyeballing a, a, a synopsis here. I forgot that this is also where uh, Ben meets uh, his, I guess his, uh, his romantic, um, Oh, right. Interest here, right? He goes on that kind of uh, ghost hunters type um, show. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't even remember that. I mean, I remembered that happening, but I didn't even remember it being as part of this episode because the thing I remember from this episode so blatantly is, of course, the the whole, uh, uh, the little girl and everything that plays. Brenda, yep. Yeah. But and meanwhile, right, I think the reason that Kristen isn't home is because she is dealing with somebody that is possessed theoretically across town. Right. <laughs> right. Right. She gets called out. Right. Yeah. She gets called out. Exactly. Right. And, and that's like, how uh, all of this happened that, uh, well, not how all of this happened, but she wasn't around because she had to go work on this case. Of course she had her mom, the, uh, <laughs> the terrific babysitter come by. And, right. um, and I think also, is this the episode where her mom meets Leland? Uh, I believe it is. Yeah, I think so, right? Because she has to cut that meeting short in order to emergency babysit for these kids, I think. Yeah, but yes, it may be this one, but you're exactly correct. Yeah, so David, you know, I'm sorry, Leland, uh, you know, shows up uh, where she is at a bar and uh, basically, you know, introduces herself to him and they will start a romantic relationship, which is really creepy. (laughs) Right, and probably not a coincidental encounter, right? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely not. Um, he's, you know, he, he's like a pusher, right? So he is, um, uh, he's looking for that weak um, point and he yes, sees her. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so that happens here too. Yeah, a lot of things happen, actually, I guess, in this episode. But like I said, the one thing that sticks with in my mind so much, I also, by the way, don't blame the grandmother so much here because the mother literally runs out the door, mm-hmm. tells the grandmother that Brenda's what's her coming. name is going to, yeah, yeah that Brenda's going to kind of come, come over, the mom's going to drop her off, blah, blah, blah. She answers the door like five minutes later and this girl is there and she just assumes that that's yeah. um, the girl, right? And then, of course, it's not until like whatever, an hour later when the actual girl shows up and then all of a sudden the grandma's like, oh my God, <laughs> where are the girls? Yes. <laughs> um, the actual girl, just to be clear, she doesn't trip, but the mom calls and says, oh, sorry, Brenda couldn't make it. She was sick. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's correct. I knew there was some Which way. Which is that, up, but, you know, yeah. stomach drop moment. 
<laughs> yeah, like oh my goodness. Although of course we watched it. And we all like, knew something, something was up with Brenda. Oh, there's yeah. something up. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. The camera floating. Like we never see her face. Yeah, I mean right. it's, it's yeah. very creepy. And also, by the way, very well done. This whole this the way that you know the camera kind of follows her around and mm-hmm. uh, um you know like uh, and yeah she's a very very creepy kid by the way very creepy. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, that's the Halloween episode. And like I said, it's kind of almost like, a, I mean, a lot of things happen, but they're not, it, it almost is like a standalone episode just because that that part of it is so creepy. Um, what happens next? Then, uh, oh, yeah, then the next episode, by the way, I think this is one of your favorites, is uh, where they go and they meet this, um, uh, is she a Chinese immigrant that uh, they think uh, that the- that the, I think Chinese, yeah. Who they believe she- claims that she has made prophecies that have come true. And I find it interesting here, by the way, going back to, you know, it's kind of uh, uh, aligning David with um, with Kristen, is that the, the when he's like saying like, oh, so you want me to investigate her? And uh, the, you know, Vatican basically says, no, we want you to, to say she's not a prophet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. once again, it's like, oh, no, no, I don't want an honest opinion. I want right. this opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so, uh, and then, they, and they go and they meet with her and she seems to be like the real deal, right? So- and that have? actress, um, I don't know if I've seen her before, but I really liked her in this role. I found her very like fun to watch, interesting to watch, charismatic. Um, and I actually thought there was a nice chemistry between her and David. And I think Kristen noticed that yeah. and didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But yeah, she's actually going to be more important later um, when, when she comes back, this, this prophet, who apparently is not only foreseeing I guess the, the Vatican's worried that she's foresee something about the end of the church, but apparently she's seeing the end of the world. To me, it was kind of clear uh, that the end of the church, maybe this is just how I see religion. To me, it was kind of clear that the end of the church would only come with the end of the world, honestly. So to me, I, I read the, I, when they said the end of the church, I read it to mean the end of the world as well, just because it would be very hard for me personally to imagine a time the Catholic church does not exist, but the world goes on. Um, but I will also say one interesting thing that gets introduced this episode is her advice to Kristen to avoid the color red. Uh, and huh, I, right. I, I think it's to avoid the color red for a week. I'm not sure why the time restriction, but beginning then I started noticing more when people are wearing red. And you definitely notice that since her mother has met Leland, she starts wearing red a whole lot. So. Right. I think they're trying to signify something there. In the next episode, when we introduce, you know, there's the whole incel thing that was happening um, at this time and even earlier, right? Where you started seeing these, this movement online, once again, in the internet Mm -hmm. um, culture of these incels that were organizing online and like kind of egging each other on to commit these mass murders, right? And we saw the the shootings on multiple college campuses and then that one in, in Canada, um, the truck, uh, I think they, they drove that truck into a crowd. Um, and uh, so these incels that were kind of, um, you know, that, that movement, which luckily doesn't seem to have gotten as much. I mean, I think it's still pretty popular online, but has not actually manifested itself in actual additional killings recently. But um, basically, uh, Leland uh, finds like a candidate, this, uh, this kid who mm-hmm. he tries to manipulate to embrace all of these like negative stereotypes he has about women so that he can basically activate him. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a pretty funny payoff to this, by the way, which I honestly was dreading this plot line. I was like, oh, this is, you know, cause uh, especially cause it was like in the headlines at the time. And I'm like, oh, this is going to get so ugly the way this is going to play out. And he accidentally shoots himself while he's like posing yes. for a picture, which I found as a very, very funny payoff to all of this. Um, <laughs> a grisly one, but still. Uh, yeah. Tiny ground. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
also though in this episode they they had previously i think made a couple of references to the 60 uh that were kind of vague and here when Leland introduces the teenager to the guy that's going to give him his gun training right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. He says, yep. this is one of the 59 people I trust or something. So you mm-hmm. get this idea that there is a group of 60 actual people out there right. uh, that are trying to accomplish something. And then this is also the one where they introduced uh, in connection with the, the prophet, those ancient diagrams or whatever, right? That I'm not sure what to call them, the drawings that the prophet seems to be able to kind of fill in the holes in the drawings somehow right. out of her. The codex. Right, yeah. out of her head, uh, right. which is is something that becomes important later as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and there's actually another big thing that happens here too, which is that I forgot this whole thing, right, where there's also an exorcism happening, right, of this woman who claims to have murdered all these uh, hitchhikers, right? Uh, are they hitchhikers? I think they're I think they're just Hispanic kids, no? Maybe, maybe they're just kids, yeah. And, waiting at um, the bus stop. At least one of them was waiting at the bus stop. Yeah. And then that, uh, yeah. So anyway, she claims to have murdered all these boys. And, and by then, the way, uh, that actress yeah. I have seen in other things, and she is always light and bubbly and happy. So seeing her mm-hmm. here was like such a trip. And she did a great job, I thought. She was yeah. really super creepy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. And then it gets even more creepy, right? When we find out that it was actually the husband mm-hmm. who was doing the killings and like framed her, right? I understand he did it. I understand he set her up to take the fall. I don't understand how the possession factored into it and how the possession happened. Yeah, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know either. I think that there was something to do with the fact that she was covering up the crime that made her that way. So I don't know if there was an actual demon that was doing it to her or or maybe the demon was keeping her quiet and she was trying to like tell the truth or something. And that's what was causing the, um, you know, her to have this, uh, this episode. I, I don't know exactly, to be honest, but, uh, and then, uh, so then at the end of this episode too, we find out that David sees one of the symbols of these 59 or whatever. And, uh, mm-hmm. he recognizes it because his dad uses it on his, in his artwork. Dun, right? dun, 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 right. Which turns out to be a red herring by the way, <laughs> yes, but, uh, because I was but, like I mean, very interested likely. by the way. And not a hundred percent a red herring, but yeah, most likely. <laughs> I think so. I think so because it's like, well, maybe not a hundred percent because yeah, because there is maybe something that they can still explore here, which yeah. is the idea that basically, so I, I was very interested in this whole episode, by the way. So you see that him and her spend time together. I definitely thought they were going to hook up in this episode, which they did not. But um, I really thought that's what they were setting us up for. Uh, and then also that, um, you know, they go out. Yeah, by this, the way, um, I think her husband's yeah. been gone for like less than six weeks at this point. So I don't really know what kind of wandering eye this lady has that she can't make it six weeks. But I guess maybe he's gone all the time. This is just the most recent trip. But right. whatever. Yeah. That's my own I moral, moral judgment on Kristen there. <laughs> yeah. I assume it's that that's the case, right? That he's yeah. always going on these kind of, high, you know, trips because you know, uh, to, to be able to live in Manhattan on, you know, whatever she gets paid. Queens, by Victor, Queens. Queens, of course, <laughs> Queens, Queens. <laughs> which is even worse. But it is a full on house, which, you know, is something. Yes. So it, under the true. bridge, yeah. but under the, under the train, but nonetheless. Right, right. Uh, you know, he seems to be living it up. His dad seems to be living it up. He has uh, yeah. this kind of like a commune that he's got yeah. out there. And, uh, and I was really curious to see like, what is this going to be? Like, is this going to be some kind of and I guess it is, I was gonna say like, it's gonna just kind of kind of like introduce us to some other aspect of the supernatural, but more of like almost like a pagan type of um, uh, um, uh, element of this. But it turns out to be a lot of the stuff we see is, you know, they take these hallucination, hallucinogens, they, uh, they see visions of stuff. Yeah. But in the end, it turns out that, you know, the dad's not some evil guy. It turns out that the visions that they've been seeing is, you know, he's incorporated these, you know, um, 
symbols because they're actually the symbol of the slave yeah. trader who, uh, and the, so that's where it could kind of tie in that, you know, maybe that someone in that family lineage of the slave owners, I should say, are one yes. of these you know, 60 or something like yeah. that, right? So that's possible still. But um, but this was interesting. They tried to bring up a little bit of this uh, history of, um, you know, slavery in the country. I think that's a little more than you can do in this limited amount of time. But I did like some of the imagery, you know, just this, you know, the hallucinations they're having and stuff like that. I found very um, It held my interest more than I expected it to, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. And then, and like I said, but then I kind of felt like at the end, like, oh, that's it. Like, that's how it ends, you know? So, well, let's uh, not leave out just as we're talking about the hallucinations. The most remarkable thing about all of it was that crazy birthing scene in the cornfield. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. The ghoul being brought. And you're like, what? Is, what? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why I was saying, like, some, like a lot, a lot of the imagery was so evocative. Like, that's a perfect example of it. But, like, what is it? Like, does it mean something? Like, you know, it obviously didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It was just like, just to go, like, kind of full bore and have, like, like such a crazy scene yep. that probably doesn't have any meaning in the rest of the show anyway but it's uh still is memorable and of course the most important thing that happens here is that her husband shows up in the very last moments right well probably just at the just in the nick of time to prevent infidelity possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what happens in the next episode uh oh so this oh the, the episode is actually called exorcism part two so i guess it is actually the woman who was exercised in that Halloween episode is now suing the archdiocese, I guess. Yeah, it's essentially <laughs> for, like a med malpractice claim, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what it turns out to be, right? Because it turns out that her permanent injury was from the medical attention she received afterwards, right? Rather yeah. than the, oh, we find out a little bit more about David in the past that he, because the because woman who's the defending him. right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And the woman who's defending him was his former lover's sister, right? Right. So now we know that Julia, her, his former fiance, is dead. Did right. we learn how she died? Because I missed it if we did. I don't think so. Julia's dead. Yeah. This is her sister, yeah. the lawyer, who is, I, I like this actress a lot. She was in Hamilton. She was excellent. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. It was nice to see her there. And I think she does have chemistry with David, I felt. Yes. Yep. Yep. And there is this a scene where I think there's one uh, uh, of the episodes that ends with the two of them just like kind of sitting across from each other. And, you know, they kind of cut away, like they basically end the scene there. And you're kind of like, oh, it's like this guy, will they or won't it's, they? Yeah, it's going down. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I said, yeah, exactly. Or I assumed they were, it was going down and it turns yeah. out it did, right? Because eventually there's a there's um, evidence of that, right? Yeah. Um, and so, right, we find out about David that he is a former sex addict, right? Yes, and right. Drug addict also? Drug addict, yeah. Yeah. So um, so some interesting stuff about David's past is coming out. Right, right. And yeah, and they, that's part of the, they try to um, reduce his- uh, Credibility. His credibility, mm-hmm. right, exactly. His credibility is what I was trying to say. So the next episode is an interesting one uh, because it deals with something that I find really fascinating. I don't think the episodes are totally successful, but I do find this topic really fascinating, which is the topic of mass hysteria, right? So this is where we see this like social media influencer has mm-hmm. a subversive signal in their uh, their content and is basically making these girls start to sing this song, right? And then eventually like actually stabbing their cells in the ears right, right? To, to, yep. to make the music stop right so this is very interesting by i think you've probably heard of these type of, type of things there's like the dancing uh uh there was a dancing plague they called it in mm-hmm. like the 1800s where uh girls started dancing 
And then they one started dancing from another. And it's usually teenage girls, by the way, that fall into mass hysteria. So it's something very interesting that this is something that's somehow programmed into us. At, at first, people thought it was so funny. They're like, well, why don't we have some kind of a dance contest to see who can dance the longest? And these girls kept dancing and dancing until they started to die. And then all of a sudden, then it was obviously problematic that these girls were like, you know, basically dancing themselves till exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that happened a long time ago. But there's been more recent ones in Mexico there was a laughing hysteria right. that started mm-hmm. in the in the schools. You probably learned about that. They might even mention it here in this episode, actually. And there was like a chewing gum one. And there's there's been all these very strange mass hysterias. And oftentimes, by the way, if you track them down, it's very interesting to like look at the history of these. Because in Mexico, for example, they had there was a, a, a one that spread all over the country in like the 1960s. And they had another one just recently, like in the 1990s. And that one got no media coverage because the government basically said, you cannot talk about right. this on the news mm-hmm. because last time, the more coverage it got, the more it spread. Like so they basically, <laughs> exactly. It's so weird that just the powers of suggestion is able to spread this. So I find that really, really interesting that like somehow, and once again, the show has no explanation for it or anything else, but I do find it really fascinating that we are kind of somehow programmed to, in some cases, like, you know, get into a, uh, you know, this weird hysteria where we start to, um, uh, you know, like potentially like endanger ourselves Mm -hmm. and we can't control ourselves, which is a very, very scary uh, concept to think about. In this case, it turns out to be, um, you know, like, you know, mass hysteria is a legitimate, true um, topic. And it's fascinating. If you're, if you're curious, you should definitely look into it. There's kind of these things that happen in pockets all over the world. Sometimes just in one town, things will happen uh, even now, but they're kind of kept under wraps because they don't want it to spread. But in the case of this episode, uh, it turns out to be like, you know, uh, something supernatural, right? Where uh, once again, Leland is actually um, working with this social media influencer and he has produced the song, right? This like uh, pot meme uh, song to uh, contain this um, uh, this subliminal um signal. Uh, and then of course, uh, they, they take it off the internet, but it doesn't matter. That makes it even more popular because of course, everybody downloads it before they, the announced time and they all start spreading it even more so. Right. And that kind of ends mm-hmm. on that cliffhanger, although they ne- never revisit it, but it ends on the cliffhanger that it's even more popular now, right. Even more people are listening to it. Yes. Right? So, and then I think it plays over the credits at the end. So just to kind of get in your own head. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're finally getting close to the end of the season. Oh, by the way, I mentioned it already, but now we are finally seeing that Andy is back. Her husband is back. Yes. And he is interacting with the girls. He's, you know, taking them to their medical appointments. So he is like, no, it's not just like he showed up and like oftentimes and like now everything stays the same other than every once in a while he comes in and gives her a peck on the cheek. It's like he actually is participating in the show here regularly. Yes. He seems like a good husband and a good father, except for this mountain climbing thing. He can't get out of his system, but yeah. (laughs) Oh, one big thing happened, by the way, at the end of that previous episode I was talking about, which is a big cliffhanger, right? Is that some random person shows up and stabs David in the chest, right? And then uh, uh, at the very end of the episode, right? So that is, that is something that obviously- Yes, which leads The next into, episode is all about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole next episode, right? So then the next episode, <sighs> David- Oh, and this is quite a- This episode was also made me claustrophobic, by the way. Um, and, uh, and I just totally forgot about it until I was looking at the synopsis here. But David is recovering from his stab wound in the hospital. And he's basically being watched over by this angel of death um, uh, nurse- and wow, what a nightmare this is, right? To be like trapped in your own body. Like, wow, this 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 one made me very uncomfortable. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't love that fever dream type of thing. I yeah. 
with very few exceptions, I generally don't care for that kind of thing where is it really happening? Is it in his head? Is he drugged out? Which is, I guess, part of the reason that I was surprised I, that I liked that commune episode more than I expected to. This to me was just too much and to what end, like it wasn't right. clear to me. Uh, there, there were certain things that were still not resolved at the end. Like what was the role of that priest in the whole thing? Was he real? Was he not? Was right. he participating with the squeaky shoe nurse? Right. Um, how was she killing these people? If she really like, what was she doing? I, I, I don't, right. I don't know. I felt like there were a lot of unanswered questions about what was real and what was not. And in the end, I could have done without it. <laughs> right. Right. There, there's a lot that happens in this episode, by the way. Right. Oh, and, and to be clear about what I was saying before is I agree, by the way, that I actually am not averse to that kind of like, is this real or not type um, storytelling at all, actually. But um, uh, but to to your point, I wasn't necessarily saying that I liked the style of the episode so much that it, and in in the way if it's telling a story. I just meant that for me, I said it's a nightmare. For me, I got claustrophobic. It's the concept that you're basically because you know, and you know, in New Jersey here, we've had you know not recently, but there was that angel of death nurse who killed mm-hmm. hundreds of people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you know, under and and basically, th- what that's another story that once again, maybe I'll include links to all these uh, news stories, but that's a crazy story that had killed dozens uh, of people in like a, a, a Pennsylvania hospital. They suspected him of the murders. He goes to a new hospital. They call up the previous hospital, saying, "Why did he leave?" Instead of being like, "We think this guy might be a killer," they don't want to be liable for like mm-hmm. any kind of slander mm-hmm. or anything or any kind of action. So they say, "No, he was great." And then he mm-hmm. goes and kills like another hundred people yeah. at the other hospital. Right? Whew! Thank God we got rid of that guy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then that, it's like, "Hey, that's someone else's problem now, right?" And it just he just keeps killing and killing. <laughs> so uh, for me, it was the fact that you know the, these angel of death nurses do exist that they're protected to some extent by this bureaucracy. And then just exclusively, once again, not the way the story is told, but just this idea of like, there you are. And this person can, has like total control. Yeah. You're at their mercy. Yeah. And that is what terrifies me. This idea of, can you imagine being in that circumstance? And that's why I said it may may be claustrophobic that you're thinking like, why doesn't he do this? Why does he do that? It's like, there's nothing he can do. Mm. (laughs) And this person gets to decide whether he's coherent, whether he's, you know, everything is like, it's all up to them. Beyond that, um, you know, we also see is the person who attacked him, right? Mm -hmm. Apparently was one of the developers of that video game. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're tracking him down by uh, Ben poses as uh, one of the girls and they use that amount of time that he's connected to triangulate his location and eventually they um, they catch him, right? And we meet the um, pre-Christian, right? The, the lady who held Kristen's job debunking things or whatever it may be before Kristen got there. Oh, right, right. Oh, so then Townsend is trying to get Orson LaRue, the, the serial killer, released. Mm-hmm. And what is this again? He, he, they get someone else to confess to the murders? Is that how they do it? Well, it's the guy from before, right? The guy that... Oh, right, right. The guy the who killed the... That, um, correct. Yeah, so he takes responsibility, not just for the murders of those Hispanic kids, but also all the ones that Orson had been convicted of. The DA tries to bring her in to keep this from happening, right? Mm-hmm. And we also have, this is another very problematic history uh, lesson, is um, uh, we, we have a whole large chunk of this uh, uh, episode, which is all about a comedian who gets abducted by a survivor of the Rwandan genocide, uh, right? Yes. And, um, and basically tortures him 
And this is, by the way, if people are not aware of this, and the, the genocide was obviously horrible, but uh, this whole segment of it where, you know, he was like, uh, and this is actually, I think, something that's pretty powerful in this episode, although it's kind of, most of this episode is pretty contrived, by the way, but this element of it is very powerful, which is the idea that there was culturally, you know, obviously relatively small percent of the population was killing all these people, but there was like these DJs and songs on the radio and stuff that were all about like killing the cockroaches. Mm -hmm. And it was like this crazy thing where it was like mainstream for people mm-hmm. to be you know and anyway it's it's really really shocking and uh, and obviously this woman is getting revenge for what happened to her family mm-hmm. uh, i'm not saying that's right but i'm just saying that it, it it once again it's this shocking thing that and maybe this is a broader theme is like how whether it's mass hysteria or whether it's you know how people like normalized this genocide that like how sometimes this group think whether it's you know uh you know internet uh, based, um, you know, incels uh, spreading or these ideas spreading that somehow there's some weakness in us where if everyone just kind of goes with the flow, no matter how outlandish and crazy the idea is or evil, we will just go with the flow too, because that's just the, you know, the way everybody's going. And, and I, I think that that probably is, especially when you watch the good fight, that that is probably the thing that they're trying to act against if you want to say they have like a mission statement with the show is to be like don't be complacent don't let you know whatever is on youtube or whatever is culturally acceptable become your behavior right ask yourself like why are you doing this like what what is the you know and and basically um, there's that phrase right which i'm going to totally fracture because i don't remember exactly how it goes but the point is something like in order for evil to flourish all that's necessary is for good men to do nothing, right. uh, you know, and it's it's that idea of like, oh, it doesn't directly apply to me. I'm just going to look the other way. And then, right. you know, next thing you know, things are not how they should be and people aren't treated how they should be treated. And suddenly in your home. Right. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is more broadly, maybe like the serious thing that they're actually trying to explore in this show um, through these uh, different uh, elements of it. I mean, I remember this because we are older. I remember the reporting on that genocide and oh my God, it was heartbreaking and horrifying. Uh, The things that were happening, just entire communities of people being massacred uh, each day. Um, You know, if you're lucky, one member of a family would survive, like uh, just really heartbreaking. And it's so crazy that, you know, like we see this in Rwanda not that long ago and you think on, you know, we're just talking about the Armenian genocide now, which is finally being um, discussed, which is a hundred years old now. Right. But it doesn't have, you don't have to go that far back. We grew up, we're old enough to like, you know, during the Clinton administration, the Serbian uh, um, and the Mm -hmm. uh, genocide. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, oh, and then not even that long ago, think about what happened under uh, very almost identical, same behavior over and over again, that uh, what happened in uh, during the, um, the the war in the Middle East, right, where you had the fall of uh, Saddam Hussein, and you have families that are intermarried, right, different, um, like Catholics and Muslims, and you know, intermarrying in the same extended family group, and then all of a sudden, these neighborhoods that are ethnically ethnically cleansed, where your neighbors who mm-hmm. like had barbecues with you a week ago are suddenly saying you leave here yeah. or mm-hmm. die, right? And you're like, how does this happen in just a few years? Like, and once again, like you said, all you have to do is like just let your guard down, and you know, terrible things can happen. Mm-hmm. Right? So, 
So that's kind of heavy, uh, but obviously you talk about the Rwanda genocide. It's not a light topic. So yes. that's a very, you know, but uh, that is once again, not a great episode, but has some memorable parts. And of course, most of all is just people should know this history of this truly horrible thing that happened. And like I said before, it's not just this random, you know, pack of thugs that are killing people. It's that the culture allowed it to happen. Yeah. And we see that happen over and over again. And honestly, we see it happen now where, you know, some of these, you know, uh, there's this vilification of people on the opposite side of the aisle in our own country. And then all of a sudden there's these completely outlandish made up stories on the internet and people at our PTA meetings and stuff are saying these things as if it's gospel truth. And you're uh, like, have you verified any of this? Have you investigated any of these things before you start spreading them among yourselves? Just because something is convenient to believe doesn't mean it's true, right? So yeah. And also on a lighter note, what kind of bad luck does David have? He's barely recovered from this yeah. knife wound. And now mm -hmm. he's a hostage in this lady's basement with a yeah, broken exactly. ankle. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, oh my God, he's gonna like pop a stitch. I'm like, but he can't possibly, they can't possibly kill him off after they just <laughs> they kept him from getting killed one episode ago, right? All right, now we're at the end of the episode, the end of the season, and we can like you know they start tying a lot of things together. Uh, a little too much stuff getting all tied together here at the end. You have um, this uh, idea of like a fetus potentially being possessed by a demon. They're trying to do a exorcism of a child in utero, right? Um, yes, and uh, which is strange. <laughs> that concept yes. in and of itself is you know she, he's absorbed a twin, by the way, which is not infrequent. Like right, Elvis Presley, just one example. Right, and an interesting of, yeah. um, kind of. Call, I didn't know the Elvis thing. I didn't mean to interrupt that. No, go ahead. <laughs> Interesting callback to Ben and his girlfriend, right? Who believes that her sister from in utero is like grafted onto her arm. Oh, yes. Yes. Which Good was point. Yep. so mm -hmm. bizarre, but I guess yep. maybe like laying the groundwork for the idea of like a parasitic twin. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But that is a very actually so a few a few things. One thing that we've kind of circumvented this whole entire time is we didn't get deeper into. We mentioned briefly early on that so Leland starts dating Cheryl. He meets her intentionally. Then he starts dating her. Then he shows up at the house, and of course, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I don't criticize her, and maybe showing uh, a little bit of her old tenacity that maybe is a little uh, subverted in her current incarnation, but Kristen goes and slashes his throat. Like, so, wow. <laughs> I mean, I can't figure this lady out. It's sometimes yeah. she goes from zero to a hundred like that, for example, here where, I right. mean, and I think it was like a, you know, it was one of those things of like, I think she told him you have 20 minutes to get medical attention or you're dead. So sometimes she does that. But then on the other hand, she gets all the way through the season basically before she has been install her security system. Right. Um, I mean, come on, yeah. what are you thinking? You needed right. the, the first time a demon visited you was time to put <laughs> right. a security system in. Never mind all of the other crap that's been happening. Like that really seemed like a day late and a dollar short to me. So I can't figure her out because sometimes she's disregarding what seem to be very real threats to her family. You know, throughout the series, people are threatening her children, right? Yep. Um, yep. And then other times she just literally goes right for the carotid. So, right. Yeah, and that's a very good point. I think that in some ways, I kind of forgave her early on because you assume she's still playing by a different set of rules, right? Like this person in a, you know, uh, affecting her job or, uh, you know, impacting her reputation or something, right? The second he's in her house with her mother, I'm exactly. going to be like, I'm changing the locks. Exactly. And not only that, if my mom still has the key to this house, because obviously you don't necessarily want to cut ties with your mom immediately. But um, if that's the case, then you, like you said, you need to have some additional uh, security, I should say, right? And something that happens here, by the way, I totally forgot this as well. Not only does he like, she slashes her throat, he slashes his throat, he survives. She like 
knows enough not to cut too deeply. Yes. Although he definitely needs to go get medical attention. And then a couple of things happen here. One is that now uh, the mother doubles down on this relationship with him, which once again, makes her a very, right. very unlikable And is character. hiding it, right? Yeah. Exactly. And then, yeah, is hiding it from her, her daughter, tells her that they're engaged at one point, where, at which point she com- the daughter completely cuts relationship, uh, th- their relationship off. But beyond that, another reason she, cut, she should cut her off is because she coached her daughter to bash another girl in the head with a rock. Right. <laughs> Definitely not proper uh, parenting. Yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, I wonder how much of this is, I mean, clearly he's got some kind of spell over her, right? Yes, yes. Um, right. But how much of it is the spell and how much of it is just poor parenting? <laughs> I have to, to say that there lines. definitely is like when they have sex for the first time and like the room is like in flames or whatever, yes. that it, there definitely is some uh, aspect of the supernatural here. But I think they lay the groundwork in the show as well, right? As far as him just being a pusher, like the person has to have a weakness before he can push them, that he sees her as like, you know, she seems to be someone who's like, you know, one of these characters that I think we're all seeing people have some of these aspects in their personality. They're like an attention seeker. They have to make everything mm. revolve around them. And they, and she really feels like she's kind of left out. Like, you mm-hmm. know, as she's getting older, she matters less. So she feels kind of like disconnected. Um, and of course he comes in and tells her everything she wants right. to hear. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then that gives her him, him, huge sway over her. But I think that it, I think it's a combination of both. There definitely is something supernatural there. They're definitely not even playing, um, hinting around that there's not, but that she has to have like some core weakness before he can infiltrate. Right. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and one last thing is like, you already hinted at it now, but like, so not only has she had Kristen visions of this demon and we see another vision of the demon at the very, in the very last episode, which we're going to cover in just a minute, but we literally see, this is a very funny scene and I, it's so bizarre, but you basically see Townsend is like so mad at her because she basically called him out. I know who you are. You're you're basically like an incel and you're so, you got angry and you want to revenge. And this is all a big act you're putting on. And you're just, uh, you know, don't worry. And I'm going to tell everybody you're who you really are. And she gets like really like cowering at this moment, like kind of revealed for who he really is. And he goes to talk to his counselor, who's a demon, like a flesh and blood demon with horns and fur. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, hysterical. Sorry. This is very funny. Yeah. You know, he basically has to go see his, uh, his hand, his, uh, whatever, his HR person or his therapist. Yes. <laughs> and it's a uh, true demon, right? So there's a bureaucracy of demons, I guess, as well, which kind of deflates the horror elements of this, right? Although when she sees the the goat hooved um, demon in her house, that is still very creepy, right? So yeah, I mean, it's hard to know what parts of this are tongue in cheek and what Correct. parts of the like, yeah. was it supposed to be creepy and it just didn't hit? Or, or was it supposed to be tongue in cheek? It's hard to know sometimes. Once again, from seeing their other shows, this is definitely supposed to be funny because they will do okay. exactly this, mm-hmm. where they will have like something completely inappropriate, especially on The Good Fight now, because they have full frontal nudity and F-bombs, which they could not do when the shows were on CBS, obviously. Mm-hmm. I kind of think sometimes it doesn't work. Right. That, you know, in their shows, it kind of deflates like the horrific with yeah, by putting too much comedy in there. I agree with you. But um, but it's it is definitely their tone. It's what they like to do. So okay, so now we're at the final episode. Uh, we kind of caught up on. That. I did, did definitely want to set that context with the mom because that is obviously a very big thing that we didn't mention. Oh, so uh, Larue is released from prison because the other killer or the other person, the other killer, play, claims to have done the 
the killings. And this guy was just fantasizing online, which makes me think about that cannibal, that police, that cannibal police. Do you remember that story where he got yeah, arrested? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, just, you know, he's basically saying, Hey, or, or like, Hey, Arnie, Arnie, Arnie Hammer is maybe a better example right now. Right. It's just like, Hey, it's just fantasy, but it's like, well, <laughs> even then. Uh, but I mean, we don't believe that for a second, right? We know LaRue was actually the killer. He is definitely threatening her by knowing where she lives. And, um, and of course, like you said, she has to get a security system now. Um, because now this is a, a legitimate threat, right? You have a serial killer who has raped and murdered before and they're showing up at your house. It's time to get some security <laughs> for sure. Finally, yes. <laughs> yes. And then Townsend, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Leland uh, proposes to Cheryl. Uh, she asks uh, Kristen to um, to embrace the uh, that. And um, she says, absolutely not. And you can't come near my family anymore. Finally, once again, uh, doing what she should have done uh, before. You know, yes. it's kind of hard to cut things off. Yeah, but when, if you really, if you believe this guy is a demon, then, well, <laughs> yeah. you don't want a demon in your house. That's basically the long and right. short of it. And then we have, once again, uh, what I already touched on before, this idea of like, kind of like a parasitic uh, sibling, which like you said, I forgot, but you're right, uh, is uh, kind of tied into the story of that romance that uh, Ben is having with the uh, that producer, but basically, as they're investigating what's happening with this with this uh, baby, they find out about this company RSM Fertility, and then of course they also find out. We also find out over the course of the episode that Kristen also went to that clinic, right, for um, in vitro. Dun dun dun. Because uh, they needed in vitro, right? They didn't have enough kids, but <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> because you know the, the dad's never there mountain climbing but you know we got to get as many kids as we can um but anyway um so uh, uh but so it turns out she was there at that clinic also for in vitro and i think that pretty oh and then there's a few things that happen here we see uh at the very end all very important things i think although they're all just cliffhangers for next season or this season that's coming up now uh one is that david has a vision and he sees Kristen with the devil, with the demon, right? The demon that we saw in just the previous episode. She's like in a, a field of corn or something, I believe, right? Yeah, I think this was like a, a reference to when he was in the hospital. Uh, mm-hmm. The prophet tells him about a certain Bible verse, Matthew chapter yes. 13, um, and about uh, the devil will sow weeds in your wheat, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I took that as a reference to that Bible verse because it seemed to be yes. like a field of wheat. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's actually really, really good. That's that's pr- probably where his imagery is coming from. But there is some indication here that Kristen is either being seduced by evil or endangered by it. it doesn't seem like she's endangered by it, right? She's approaching it. I mean, right? she so, seems to be in this vision. She's kind of disregarding David and walking yes. towards the devil yes. or the demon, yep. right? So right. that she's drawn right. to the demon for some reason. Right. And then, so now that's another thing. So there's a few things that get raised here all at once that something with the girls, right? Because are one of the girls somehow impacted by this fertility clinic, right? If there's something actual evil associated with that fertility clinic, which there seems to be. Right. And it's the uh, one that is spontaneously bleeding at the mouth, right? Yes. Yep. yep. Right. Claims that she brushed her teeth too hard. I mean, I don't, I guess I don't brush my teeth very hard, but I've never had something like that happen. <laughs> Right. You got to get the soft persons. The yeah, soft maybe she should switch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not always, don't always go with the hard all the time. It's, it's too much. Yeah. I mean, I think it's um, actually well known that most people are applying too much pressure and using bristles that are too hard. Exactly. Everyone should be using a soft toothbrush. Just my PSA for the day. And yeah. circular motion, circular motion, That's massage right. the gums. Massage the gums. Yeah. So if you, get, if you get anything out of this two hour conversation, yes. <laughs> soft bristles, massage the gums. 
Oh yeah, so we did, we see that vision, right? Of uh, uh, Kristen walking towards a demon. And then uh, another huge thing that happens, right? Is like, you know, LaRue, uh, she, we see, I don't remember the details of it, but we see her out at night. Well, she's home and she grabs like an, an ice axe. Right. Right, and this is after she's installed the security system. She's gone right. out once again. She's left the girls with a babysitter named Matilda. I guess she and her mm -hmm. husband were both out. I think the husband had gone to a climbing convention of some sort um, out <laughs> west. <laughs> but, um, so she's out. Matilda, who we never see, is supposed to be watching the girls. The one that came from the fertility clinic hears a voice calling her. She goes to the door. They ask her to open the door. The next thing that happens is Kristen comes home. The door is ajar. The girl is passed out on the floor and there's a giant oh, basket right. of candy, right. mm -hmm. which is intriguing to me personally, but I probably would not eat that candy. And I guess now she's thinking that like Orson has gone too far and this is the time yeah. to do something. And she grabs the ice axe and leaves. And then we don't see what happens until right. she is somewhere that I can't recall where with Ben and David and Ben says, you know, you have blood on your leg. And she's just like, oh, right. oh do I? <laughs> and quickly cleans it off and moves on with her life. I forgot that that was so overt in that case, the blood uh, clue, because I was thinking that there might still be a chance that she didn't do the killing, but I think that that's pretty suggestive at that point, right? And then eventually she is um, confronted, right? That she finds out that LaRue's been killed, right? Yeah, one character we didn't talk about was her friend, yes. the detective, mm -hmm. right? Who does right, end up right. being instrumental in a couple of ways, but the ship has sailed. We're already at the last episode. Yeah, so, exactly, exactly. Um, we'll, we'll learn more about Mira later. I'm sure we can work her in in a, in a subsequent podcast, but- um, Exactly. But when she yeah. shows up, we can give her a little backstory on yes, her as well. Mira, who has been a, her detective friend throughout the season, calls her to say that Orson is dead. And uh, so, yeah, so we, the assumption is on my part, and I guess it's definitely uh, hinted at very heavily that she has gone and killed uh, Orson, right? And um, and then she goes and she takes out her crucifix. You know, she basically thinks, I assume at this point, she's a lapsed uh, Catholic, but she's thinking I need to, you know, reconnect with my faith because too many crazy things are happening. And hey, even if it's just a little extra insurance, I need to break out the crucifix and as soon as she picks it up, it burns her hand, right? Literally burns yes. her hand and leaves a scar. And then that is a question there. Once again, with these three things, she probably committed this murder, the burning of her hand, and David seeing her drifting towards evil, that it's like, what is, um, what's happening to her internally, right? And that's, and that's, that's how it ends. That's the end of the season. Uh, you know, we, we covered this whole thing in about an hour and a half, which is uh, not too bad. Considering, mm -hmm. considering yeah. <laughs> considering how much ground we had to cover. Yeah. And, uh, and like, we're, we're going to trim out a lot of those digressions. So it'll probably be even yeah. shorter than that. Um, but hopefully everybody out there, you get to catch up on the series. It's still on Netflix. Very easy to binge. The next episode is coming on June 20th and we will be recording that same day, probably. So we will have something out by the 21st, I believe for uh, you to listen along. If you're curious, it's on Paramount plus. I mentioned before some of the reasons you may want to get Paramount Plus. Not only this, but all the Star Trek shows. Wasn't wasn't Joel a big Star Trek fan? Am I remember? He correctly? is. Yep. So there you go. Right. He can watch. Uh, he can watch the Picard show. The the. the I with, will um, let him know that. There you go. He he missed it. He can binge the whole thing now. Oh yeah, you can watch Star Trek shows like Joel. We'll be watching. I'm sure. <laughs> you can um, watch and and all those blockbusters. Like I said, Quiet Place Two is coming out in just a few weeks. That the new Top Gun sequel. 
and the Mission Impossible sequel are both coming out this summer and will both be available on Paramount Plus as well. So good reasons to to watch that. And then you can watch along. Like I said, one week from today, there is going to be a new episode. From what I can see here, there's nine. There's only nine. So they'll be running from, uh, you know, June 20th through uh, middle of August. And we will be recapping them here. And I hope you all listen along. Did you have any recommendations uh, before we wrap up? Oh, uh, sure. A quick recommendation that I thought of because I know you are recapping Loki, which is not my thing at all. Um, (laughs) However, I saw that Tom Hiddleston is in it. Yes. And I really love The Night Manager with Tom Hiddleston. Uh, I never, I only saw one episode of that. I should catch up on it. I loved it. I thought it was so compelling. Uh, Really fun to watch. Uh, Hugh Dancy is in it as well. Um, And oh, a really striking blonde woman whose name is completely escaping me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But she's great. Um, It's a kind of like a one season show, kind of like Mare of Easttown, I think. Although Mare of Easttown might get another season. Uh, and I, I really loved watching it. I really enjoyed it. I thought there were really great performances. It was very dramatic. Uh, so yeah, that's my recommendation for this week. And I think it's on Amazon Prime. Oh, you're thinking of that really tall actually. Yes, Elizabeth she's Debecky, quite tall. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, she was She was just in Tenet, just to connect all these different things together. Elizabeth Debicki was just in Tenet yes, very recently. thank you, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, oh, and also I, I forgot this, uh, The Night uh, Manager, which is based on a John Le Carre novel. Mm-hmm. Hugh Laurie, by the way, you said Hugh. Oh, Dancy. I said Hugh Dancy, who I also love, but yes, I met Hugh Laurie. <laughs> yes, well, like, but very different people. Yes, yes, yeah, very quite different. different. Ages. House, house is in it. Okay. <laughs> yes, it's a house exactly. <laughs> but uh, also, it's created by Susan Beyer, by the way, who is uh, she's um, she's the, basically she's like a Swedish director or something, and uh, she's she's very good uh, director. I think she's one of the few women to have been huh. get it her uh, have a foreign film nominated for best a foreign film. Or maybe I did not know that. But anyway, she's she's a very good director. So very curious. I did, and like I said, I think I watched one episode of that show. And um, I always have this issue with La Carre. His material is very slow. It is slow. So I think it's I, definitely a slow burn. Yeah. I should catch up on that. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Throw out a quick uh, recommendation if you like Tom Hiddleston. Uh, like someone mentioned, I'm doing the Loki recaps also. Those just started last week. Episode one was terrific. I loved it. Uh, have not liked the first two MCU shows very much. Loved this so far. Only one episode in, obviously. So, hey, we don't know yet. But I've heard uh, some of the critics like had got screeners. They saw the first two episodes and they loved both episodes. So I'm very excited to see what happens this week. I'll be recapping it on uh, Wednesday. So uh, stay tuned for that. If you're listening to this, you can watch both shows with us. And uh, so once again, Tom Hiddleston. So a uh, recommendation. If you've never seen it, uh, a vampire movie called Only Lovers Left Alive. And it is w- like, um, it's a really, really great film. If it, selling it as a vampire film is like kind of a misnomer in a way, it's him and Tilda Swinton, which are two very, very striking people, especially as vampires. So they're a couple of vampires that have been living uh, apart, actually. They're kind of like in a, in a long separation uh, because they've been alive for hundreds of years. And they reunite, all shot in Detroit, which is very interesting to see Detroit, you know, at this point in time. And, um, and Jim Jarmusch, uh, who I'm a big fan of, has this kind of tone to his uh, of his movies. Very slow, once again, very slow paced, but it's really about 
his fandom, his like love of things. And these are like vampires who kind of feel like, oh, the world has changed so much and all these things we love are not around anymore. And it's almost like Jim Jarmusch kind of reflecting on his own kind of being like a hipster 40 years on basically, right? And uh, anyway, I really appreciated it. I love their talk about like, you know, how culture is changing and how they feel old, but young at the same time. And it's something that I really uh, resonated with. And it's just beautiful to look at. And it's very slow. And it's just a lot of people in a room talking. There's only four or five people in this whole movie, Sona. So you might appreciate <laughs> I it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And uh, it's, yeah, like I said, really beautiful. His performance is great. Tilda Swinton is great, as you know, really is. Anyway, they have like this kind of uh, really interesting chemistry. And I, I really like that one. So if you haven't seen it before, definitely recommend it. And uh, yeah, and check out our Loki recap shows. That's about it. Cool. All right. Can't wait for the next one. We will see what the next season has in store. What's the bigger conspiracy? We'll find out. Yep. Can't All wait. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.